months or even a year. And then now the sort of the, the Americans have started to join in on a space station. So they're going for longer duration missions as well. But they were used to going up for six months. And I mean, when I was up, the back of the Earth, around the wrong side of the Earth to the Soviet Union, we had no communication with mission control whatsoever. So even in, now in Russian memory, they, are, they may not have such a problem as going, of going to Mars as perhaps some of the Americans might. That's right, and actually that's interesting because we, we're almost having to train not just the astronauts for the future missions, but train mission control as well. well for the last 10 years, the space station has become this fantastic scientific laboratory, and we have an amazing working environment, so we're putting a lot of science experiments up there, but it's almost become very routine. Like Helen says, we've got instant communications all the way around the planet. We have, we have very few moments of the day where we might have a couple of minutes of communication dropout, and, and you might not get your terabyte of bandwidth that you're getting down to Earth. And that kind of environment is great for what we need the ISS to do. But when we're looking f- towards the future and we want to get astronauts and mission control trained back to being, or the astronauts being much more autonomous and mission control having to hand back that autonomy to the crew, that's something we're working on. We're talking about you know, the, using the space station as a, as a test bed for Mars now and having perhaps a period of a, of a couple of weeks where we actually do a simulated Mars mission from on board the space station. You talked about the psychological aspects of, of long-duration spaceflight, but could you just describe what it's like? I assume you can't really train for that launch and then being in space and then living in space for days at a time. Could you describe what that felt like from, from the launch up through to your first experience of space? Well, well I think the launch, you can't, you can't train for the actual physical feeling of it, can you, Tim? I mean, you, you can do a centrifuge, but, um, but that just gives you G-forces. You can't really train for the vib- vibration, hearing the clunks and bangs, and then suddenly, as the light streams in through the window, once you've jettisoned the fairing when you're out of the atmosphere, seeing the Earth for the first time, all those things. But I think... What you can be selected for is a kind of a mentality, a psychological profile that's actually reasonably calm, the kind of person who takes in information, processes it, and then works it out. You don't typically get astronauts who are really excitable. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But neither do we get astronauts who are pretty depressive. I mean, that that would make a pretty bad crewmate, wouldn't it, for six months, I imagine. So I think it's that... That psychological profile in the testing that actually does an awful lot. Um, And then once you've trained to do your mission, then you just get on with the job you've been trained to do. Think things through if necessary. But, I mean, in terms of a long period away from Earth, I was only away for eight days. Tim, you were there for, what, five, six months? Yeah, uh, six months, and, uh, and I was up when I arrived on the space station. Scott Kelly was my commander. He'd already been up there for nine months, and, uh, and he was spending a year up in space. So that was really interesting to him, him and uh, Misha Konienko as well. Yes, yeah, so it, it is, uh, when you go on the mission, actually, for, for me, I think the, the launch itself was hugely exciting. And, and like you say, you can't train for it. There's all these vibrations and everything. But actually, the re-entry was, was even more so. Uh, and I remember Jeff Williams speaking to me the night before re-entry. And uh, I was kind of getting all my stuff ready to go. And he said, now, Tim, re-entry is like nothing you have ever experienced before. He said, there'll be several times during re-entry when you think it's all gone horribly wrong. Uh, <laughs> he, said, he said, it hasn't. He said, don't worry. There are a lot of explosions. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of vibration. There's a huge amount of heat. You'll be sweating buckets. And he said, it's all perfectly normal. 
but, the um, biggest thing I thought actually was this, you know when the, uh, the parachutes come out because yeah. there's a big sort of hole really where the parachutes are stored on one side I suppose of the soil isn't it? towards the top but it's, t- it's actually at the side it's not physically on the top because of course that top is connected to your, sort of your other module but to start with and before you've jettisoned that so the parachute comes out from one side and so the, the soil itself swings quite violently and it's not until you've managed to get the parachute straight above you that that swinging sort of stops but I think I mean we in the training we had that uh, profile we knew the time and the g-force that was going to be created side to side but actually feeling that it's quite taken by surprise I think and how sort of closed in are you then when this is oh, let's, shall we demonstrate yeah, for all the people is, listening we can demonstrate here we are is, touching yeah, shoulders yeah you are you get very <laughs> friendly in the soyuz um yeah you you get to know your crewmates very well but you are literally touching and you're squeezed in there and there's all sorts of stuff packed around you as well even when you're in the simulators in star city they're quite spacious um, but when you get in the real soyuz and they really pack everything in and you're coming down with the science experiments around you as well there's there's not an inch of space left and, and it's never it's never routine is it i remember because we we covered your launch tim on the both the launch and the docking live stargazing and i remember we were with chris hadfield when you were docking and i think you had a, a sort of a non-standard docking didn't you i think something broke on the spacecraft a retro rocket <laughs> or something and we, we we were myself and dara going oh no what's happened it's gone it's reversing it's right. and chris is like no no it's just a, be, they'll, they'll learn how to fly the spacecraft again and then they'll dock it what yeah, do you mean I, 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 it was funny watching back. I was watching Chris's commentary back, and it was great because um, he knew actually that it was a little bit more serious than he was letting on. So he was just doing the cool, calm astronaut. He was very that calm. Point. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the, the initial abort, that's not unusual. It, it happens occasionally with the Sawyers. Uh, and then Yuri took manual control. But the first manual docking, um, Yuri was having a really hard time seeing the, the docking port. The sun was setting, so the whole space station was like a bright mirror 